Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Talk Recorded live. Good morning. We want to welcome you to the worship service in the Homerville Church of Christ. We're glad you stopped in. And if you're listening to this in the archive, we appreciate you stopping in. We'd be glad to have you come and be with us anytime you have the opportunity. We hope you find everything that is done to be done in accordance with the New Testament pattern. And if you have any Bible questions, we'd love to be able to uh, help you with that. If you'll leave the question either in the chat box or on the podcast when it's live, or you can leave a, a uh, question on our Facebook page, and we'll get to that and try to do our best to get you a Bible answer for your Bible question. We will be starting in about seven minutes. If you're listening in the archive, you can fast forward a little bit. <coughs> I'm glad you stopped in.
Thank you. 
Thank you. 
On the first day of the week, we're commanded to remember the sacrifice Jesus gave us on the cross by partaking of the Lord's Supper. We read about the institution of the Lord's Supper in Matthew chapter 26, and starting in verse 26, it says, As they were eating, Jesus took bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink from it all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now until that day when I drink anew with you in my Father's kingdom. Uh, the bread represents Jesus' broken body on the cross, and this time that was their prayer for taking of the bread. Dear Lord, we thank you for this day and everything you've given us. Most of all, we thank you for sending your Son to die for our sins. Now we partake of this bread, which represents his shed body that we take in the many pleasing unto you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Fruit of the vine represents the blood that Jesus shed on the cross, and this time let will say a prayer for taking us through the vine. Once again, dear Lord, we'd like to thank you for sending your son to die for our sins, and now as we can take us through the vine, which represents his shed blood that will take us in a manner pleasing unto you. In Christ's name, I pray. Amen.
We now come to another portion of our service, which is giving. We're commanded to give back unto the church as we've been prospered. We read this in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, and starting verse 1, it says, Now concerning the collections for the saints that I have given orders to the churches of Galatia, so you must do also. On the first day of the week, let each one of you lay something aside, storing up, that he may prosper, and there be no collections made when I come. This time I will say a prayer for y'all. Dear Lord, we thank you for today and everything you've given us. We thank you for allowing us to have jobs so we have a way to earn money, Lord. And pray that as we give back a portion of that, that you bless us with, that we'll give in a manner pleasing unto you. In Christ's name, pray. Amen. Like going to mark the books of number 721. Number 721. That'll be the following surgery. Mark that turn over to number 642. Jesus, every day, this 
good to see everyone this morning. I hope you're doing well. <laughs> we had a great day yesterday to think about the 4th of July and what that means to us as a nation. And thankfully, as we were talking earlier, there weren't any major catastrophes that I heard of. Maybe I may have missed something, but thankfully there was nothing of that nature. And uh, so it's, it's nice to have those times to think about those who made it possible for us to even be here today to enjoy the freedoms that we enjoy in this nation in which we live and the great blessings that we enjoy every day. And it's important for us not to take those blessings for granted, but to appreciate them and to use them not only for our benefit and our enjoyment, but also to the glory of God. And as we think about that, we also think about the various things that have transpired over the past couple of weeks and the turmoil that exists in our country and the problems that, that are being faced and the uh, discussions that are at hand about various topics that actually do concern us, even though we may not be having the actual discussions as far as the decision-making people here in Homerville, we understand that the decisions that are made in our nation's capital do affect us, and we are saddened by the way some of these decisions have, have transpired and the way things are going in our nation, and yet we're still thankful for the blessings that we do enjoy and the opportunities, the privileges that we have. We hope we'll be able to continue on with those. As we think about these these circumstances of our nation, sometimes it is has been the case in the past that we will look to the Old Testament and we'll consider the way God interacted with his people, the Israelites, and the promises that were made to them. And some have paralleled our nation with those same promises that were made to the nation of Israel, and we've, we've already touched on this as we've been discussing God's people of, of the Old Testament in the past few weeks and months, that while they, we do have uh, some similarities as far as those problems and such as that, it's not really a fair or a reasonable parallel to say that if we do the things that God promised to the Israelites to bless our nation like he promised to bless them because he was in a covenant relationship with the nation of Israel. And yet, we still understand that righteousness exalteth a nation, but sin is reproached to any people. And so certainly there are some biblical principles that apply, and as we think about the circumstances in our nation, we understand that we do have a part to play, a role to fulfill in making it the best that it can be. And yet, those promises God made to Israel were of old were not made to the United States. The parallel is to his people, the church the kingdom of God over which Jesus reigns today. The kingdom that Daniel spoke about, Daniel chapter 2 and verse 44, that he said would, would, not, uh, would stand forever. And so that is the parallel. And as we think about that, and as we've said before, the hope of our nation, the hope of our community, the hope of, of, of our society in being the best that it can be is for God's people, the church, to be the best that, that we can be. And that means that we must go back to his word and consider what he has said on the subject of these debates and things such as that to determine what he wants us to do and to stand for that. To be kind, to be considerate of those who are around us, but also to stand firm 
as so many of us who have gone before us have done, including our Lord himself. As we think about this, last week we turned our attention to the book of Nehemiah. You might want to go ahead and open your Bible again to the book of Nehemiah. And we're going to finish up what we started last week. And then, Lord willing, this evening we're going to move on to some things about Job. But last week as we were looking at the book of Nehemiah, we were considering what he had done, the work that he had done, in leading up to the walls of Jerusalem being rebuilt. And as we started, we were noticing some things that Nehemiah had done, the positive things that he did. In the first place, we noticed that he agonized over the condition of the walls and of the city itself with the walls being piles of trash, basically. When he heard about it, he, he agonized over it, said he wept and mourned for certain days, and he prayed to God. And it's interesting, as you go through the book of Nehemiah, how often we're reminded and told that Nehemiah prayed. Just right one time after the next, over and over again, we find Nehemiah praying to God about the circumstances in which he found himself and the circumstances of the, the city of Jerusalem. But not only did he agonize, he didn't just stay and waller and uh, waller in the, the misery, but then he began to analyze. He made preparations. He got permission so that he could go and he could begin this work. He organized. He evaluated the circumstances of the walls, and then he got things in order so that he could begin the work of repairing the wall. And then as we continue... We find that he supervised. This is where we left off last week and realized that time had run out on us. He supervised. As we were finishing up last week, we noticed in, in the organization that he had obtained the permissions to travel. He had lined up the building materials that would be needed so that he could um, do this work that he was going to be involved in in rebuilding the walls. And then he got the people together, and after he, after he had figured out what needed to be done, then he, got, he gathered them together, and he commissioned them in this work. And then you read chapter 3, and this group had this part of the wall, the next group had this part of the wall. Everybody had their part. He organized them. They had their work to do. They had the tools needed to do it, and they involved themselves. For the most part, there were some who didn't, but for the most part, they involved themselves in this great work. And in chapter 4, I believe it's verse 6, we're told that they were able to do this because the people had a mind to work. Nehemiah had inspired in these people, in God's people, a desire to fulfill this task, to, to, to build these walls, rebuild these walls, and to accomplish it. But then we come to that next point, and that is that he supervised. When you think about work, if you've ever been involved in any kind of work that had more than one person doing the work, you understand that there are successful ways and unsuccessful ways in accomplishing that work. I've recently been involved in some work of, of this nature, and one of the, the, the people who I've been working with has a tendency to kind of micromanage. Not only will he say, this is what we need to do, but then he'll come back and step by step bring you right back through it and you know what you're doing, it's just he comes back and keeps telling you, okay, we need to do this, 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 and this. And then he comes back, and, and it's just kind of a continual checking up on things. And you've got to be thorough, but you can go to the point of micromanaging to the point where really you want to just say, well, if, you want to, if you're that concerned about it, why don't you do it? And so that, that's frustrating. But also there is the opposite of that where someone says, 
here's this job, go do it. And they don't give any instructions. They don't provide the tools. They are training. They just say, here's what we're trying to do. Good luck. And we've probably all been on both sides of those, those, uh, those that coin in trying to do work. And both sides can be equally frustrating. But as we look at Nehemiah and the way things transpire in chapter 4 mostly, we find kind of a, a system, if you will, that is successful in not only inspiring people to work, but, but accomplishing the work in such a way that it, it is successful. First of all, in Nehemiah chapter 4, verses 4 through 6, we find again that he prays. Having uh, met some opposition, we find in Nehemiah 4, beginning of verse 4, Hear, O, God, o our God, for we are despised, and turn their reproach upon their own heads. And give them for a prey in the land of captivity. Cover not their iniquity, and let not their sin be blotted out from before thee. For they have provoked thee to anger before the builders. So built we the wall, and all the wall was joined together into the half thereof, for the people had a mind to work. Again, the first step in this process of building, the first step in getting these, the God's people involved in this work as they had begin, as they had previously, as he had previously done, he prayed. They made opposition. Sam Ballot and Tobiah. There, I was told at the beginning of this chapter, they came and they were mocking their their efforts in something that that could have deterred, could have derailed the efforts. And Mi first begins with prayer. Moving on, we find that he persisted. In verses 7 through 9, he, we were told, But it came to pass that when Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabians, the Ammonites, the Ashdodites, heard that the walls of Jerusalem were made up and that the breaches began to be stopped, then they were very wroth and conspired all of them together to come and to fight against Jerusalem and to hinder it. Nevertheless, we made our prayer unto our God and set a watch against them day and night because of them. Then skip over to verse 13, we're told, Therefore set I in the lower places behind the wall and on the higher places. I even set the people after their families with their swords and their spears and their bows. And I looked and rose up and said unto the nobles and to the rulers and to the rest of the people, Be not ye afraid of them. Remember the Lord, which is great and terrible, and fight for your brethren, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your houses, and it came to pass when our enemies heard that it was known unto us, and God had brought their counsel to naught, that we returned all of us to the wall, every one unto his work. Here they begin to face the more increasingly difficult obstacles. Having prayed about this work and knowing it was the work that needed to be done, they continued on. As the enemy begins to increase their attacks, and work was being done to, to cause them to quit building, they persisted. What do you do when, when challenges come up? What do we do? Again, the parallel is we're striving to make the Lord's church the best that it can be. What are we going to do? First of all, we've got to pray. We ought to be praying daily for the Lord's people, for the congregation here, for those in our area, but for the church as a whole, that God's people will be faithful to him and that we'll have opportunities to reach out, to spread the gospel to those who are around us. And as we do this and involve ourselves in this work, what happens? Obstacles are going to arise. There are going to be people who don't agree with what we're trying to do. There are going to be people who would say, no, you don't need to worry about that. 
There's nothing to be concerned about about the, this this gospel and and following Jesus. Um, you one church is as good as another church. There's no need to be concerned about this. Obstacles can come up, and what we have to do is follow in their footsteps. And we've got to defend ourselves. We've got to prepare ourselves with God's word, the sword of the spirit. We've got to strengthen our faith by the shield of the faith, the shield of faith and prepare ourselves for this battle and continue to work and persist and not give up. They could have given up, but the walls would not have been finished. And if we give up, our work will not reach its completion either. But not only did in his supervision did Nehemiah pray and persist, but also he participated. Notice chapter 5 and verse 16, and we'll come back to chapter 4 in a second. But in chapter 5 and verse 16, we're told, Yea, also I continued in the work of this wall. Neither bought we any land, and all my servants had gathered thither unto the work. Now, if you paid much attention to history and, and the way things go, when there's something like this going on, there's a big project, what sometimes happens? The higher-ups figure out, here's how I can capitalize on this opportunity, and they start making money. They start focusing on their personal gain instead of the work that's at hand. But Nehemiah stayed focused on the work. And he recognized that he himself had a role to fulfill in this work. He had his work and the people had their work. We talked about this a little bit last week, but as you think about this, when we think about those who are leaders of God's people, now again, everybody ought to be striving to be a leader of God's people. In whatever capacity it may be, it may be that you are a, a parent, a Bible class teacher. In fact, you don't even have to have a, a, a title as such or a specific job to be a leader. You think about the people that God has used to lead his people in times past. You reckon David felt he was a leader when he went to take the provisions to his brothers? And yet when all of God's people were sitting still and they were shaking and prayed because of that giant Goliath, David stood up and said, is there not a cause? As a young man, as a, David was a leader of God's people and he went and he faced a giant that the, the seasoned soldiers were afraid of. And so while, yes, God has set his church up in such a way that everyone is to submit to the authority of Jesus, in a congregation, we are under the oversight of elders or the, the men of the congregation until the, an eldership can be established. But when we get to where uh, maturity is there and, and men are, are present who meet the qualifications of elders, we, we, we operate under the oversight of an eldership. Deacons have works that, over which they're appointed to work. Preachers preach. That's the way God set up the congregation in a local setting, and yet... Even in these circumstances, it doesn't matter if you're a an elder, a preacher, a Bible class teacher, a parent, a grandparent. You can still be a leader of God's people in that you determine to do what is right regardless of what's going on and to do your best at it. And that's what we all should be striving to do. And as we think about that, there's work that is my work. And then there's work that, as a preacher with this congregation, that is my preaching work. And while they're similar, there's some differences. 
as an as an individual Christian, when I have an opportunity to help somebody, I don't have to come and say, uh, I don't have to call Brother Ray or Brother Brian or Brother Arnold and say, um, this person needs help. Can we help them? That's my work as a Christian, to be helpful to those who are around me. As a Christian, when I see someone who needs to study the Bible and I can have that opportunity, I don't have to call the elders and say, can I have a Bible study with this person? Because as a Christian, I've been commissioned to go into all the world and preach the gospel. And while, yes, I'm serving as a preacher here in this location, I, Andrew Christopher Nelson, have my own work to be doing involved in this great work in which we're involved. That's not just standing here preaching. That's not just working. Now, I guarantee you if I called the elders, they'd say, why are you calling us? You need to be doing that anyway. Elders have their own personal work. They know people that we don't know, and they have opportunities that we don't have to serve, to teach, and to help, and, and to live the Christian life. And as they lead us in the oversight of this congregation, they're showing us the way by the way they live, by doing those things. And sometimes they may say, hey, I'm going to go do a Bible study. Would you come with me? Well, they're helping us to be involved in this work. But then as elders, they're concerned about our well-being. They want, if, 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 it's really hard to use this as an illustration because if I don't show up, there's a big problem. Um, but you know what, really and truly, if somebody doesn't show up, it's not me, it's a big problem. And when they recognize this individual hasn't been coming, we need to go check on them. They're shepherds. That's their work as elders, to go and, and make sure the flock is receiving the, the things that it needs, the, the nourishment, spiritual nourishment that it needs, to make sure that the congregation is doing the work that needs to be done, to be involved in that great commission, not only as individual Christians, but as we work together in a focused effort. We're going to have a gospel meeting in September. Brother Ryan Tooten scheduled to do that. They set that time aside. They made, they made the, the plans for us to have that meeting so that we can be built up, yes, as a congregation, and that's that helping us to be who we need to be and receive that nourishment, that spiritual, spiritual nourishment. But also it's an opportunity, and there are going to be things that need to take place where we go and invite our friends and neighbors. We may be doing some door knocking. Whatever it is that they have, they decide that we need to be doing as a congregation to prepare for that meeting. That's their work in overseeing the work. And so we may have other roles, and those roles have their responsibilities, but we can't forget that personally, I've got to be involved in the work. Nehemiah prayed about it. He... Uh, persisted in it and, and encouraged them in, in persisting in it, and he participated in, participated in the work himself and did not involve himself in, in the gain, the personal gain that some would, would uh, be tempted to, uh, to do. Finally, he promoted. In Nehemiah 4, verse 14, notice as they're facing these, these obstacles with the Sanballat and Tobiah, says, I looked and rose and said to the nobles and to the rulers and to the rest of the people, Be not ye afraid of them. Remember the Lord, which is great and terrible, and fight for your brethren, for your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your houses. They're involved in this great work. Obstacles start coming up. They needed to be inspired to continue on. 
And so what Nehemiah does, he points out the Lord is on our side. We have a great a great value uh, depending on this. Fight for your brethren. Fight for yourselves. Fight for your wives and for your children, for your houses. There was a lot riding on them building this wall and, and completing this project. And Nehemiah reminds them of that and he promotes what they're doing. He inspires them to continue on in the face of these obstacles. Sometimes leaders have to do that. Sometimes we as God's people have to be reminded what we're doing. It's not that we don't care about the church. It's not that we don't care about lost souls. But we get busy and we forget about what's going on and putting first things first. It happens. It happens to us in, in, in various aspects of life, but and, and because of that, it can happen to us with the church. And sometimes we need our leaders. Sometimes we need someone who we wouldn't think of as being a leader to say, but aren't we supposed to be doing this? Isn't this important? Sometimes projects or, or programs can overshadow the point. Why do we have a gospel meeting? So we can say, well, we're going to have a gospel meeting and we have two a year and we do... No. If that's the only reason we have a gospel meeting is so we can say, well, we had a couple gospel meetings last year, then we're wasting our time and we ought to be time and money and we ought to be figuring something more profitable to do with it. Now, God's word is going to be preached, has been preached, and that's not a waste of time. But what's our focus in these things? Is it so, you know, as, as a member of the congregation, I can say, well, and I know some places. I know some places where the congregations have been dying little by little. But they'll say, we have this, we have a, a bulletin, we have a, a uh, gospel meeting, we have a, a, a lectureship, and they'll talk about all these things that they're doing, but they're not, it, it's about those things. It's not about what they're trying to do with those things. And so the thing we have to do is keep in mind what we're doing and why we're doing it so that we too can accomplish the work that the Lord has set before us, so that we can stay focused and not turn away. And so Nehemiah, in the things that he did, he agonized about the circumstances. He analyzed and considered what needed to be done. He organized and, and made the preparation, and then he supervised, and he let the people work. But now let's consider some things in the few minutes we have that he did not do. In the first place, if we think about things that Nehemiah did not do, we come to chapter 6 and we find that he did not compromise. He did not compromise. Sometimes we think about situations and, and we say, well, you have to compromise so that we can get this work done. But really and truly, compromise isn't what we need to do. We need to figure out in the things that are, are being discussed what's the best way, what needs to be done, and do it that way. And as we think about this, he had some people who wanted him to compromise. In fact, Nehemiah 6, verses 1 through 4, Now it came to pass when Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem, the Arabians, and the rest of our enemies heard that I had built the wall, and that there was no breach left therein, though at that time I had not set up the doors upon the gate. But Sanballat and Geshem sent unto me, saying, Come, let us meet together in some one of the villages in the plain of Ono. But they thought to do me mischief. 
And I sent messengers unto them, saying, I am doing a great work so that I cannot come down. Why should I? Why should the work cease whilst I leave it and come down to you? Yet they sent unto me four times after this sort, and I answered them after the same manner. Nehemiah didn't compromise in this conference. And the, the older preachers have said before, they said, come to the plain of oh no, and he said, oh no, I cannot go. And... Uh, they wanted him to come away. All they were trying to do was get the work to stop. They weren't concerned with meeting with him. They just wanted to cause problems and keep him from being successful in rebuilding these walls. And for us today, as we think about our work in the Lord's kingdom, sometimes there are some people who want to pull us away from what we're doing. Oh, come over here and we can talk about this or that. Come to this group or come to this. And, and they'll try to make it seem like a reasonable, I mean, it seems like they, they, they want to talk about serious things. But he said, no, I can't do that. I can't go down because while I do, the work would cease. And why should I let this work cease when it's going so well? Now, it's not to say we shouldn't talk to folks and shouldn't be willing to consider things. We ought to. But we've got to stay focused on the work. And if we're not careful, there, there are things in this life that, that can pull us away, even discussions that can pull us away from what we're trying to do and cause us to compromise and to let things happen that ought not. Continuing on in chapter 4, we find that he did not compromise in the, uh, excuse me, yeah, no, chapter 6, I'm sorry. He didn't compromise in the confrontation. Continuing on there in verse 5 says, Then sent Sambalat a servant unto me in like manner in the fifth time with an open letter in his hand, wherein was written, It is reported among the heathen and Gashmu that uh, saith it, that thou and the Jews think to rebel, for which cause the, thou buildest the wall, and that thou mayest be their king according to these words. And thou hast also appointed prophets to preach of thee at Jerusalem, saying, There is a king in Judah. And now shall it be reported to the king according to these words. Come now, therefore, and let us take counsel together. Then I sent unto him, saying, There are no such things being done as thou sayest, but thou feignest them out of thine own heart. For they, all, for, for they all made us afraid, saying, Their hands shall be weakened from the work, that it be not done. Now, therefore, O God, strengthen my hands. Notice again, pray. Afterward, I came to the house of Shemaiah, the son of Deliah, the son of Mehedabil, who was shut up. And he said, Let us meet together in the house of God within the temple, and let us shut the doors of the temple, for they will come to slay thee. Yea, in the night they will come to slay thee. And I said, Should such a man as I flee, and who is there that, that being as I am, would go into the temple to save his life? I will not go in. And lo, I perceived that God had not sent him, but that, the, but that he pronounced this prophecy against me, for Tobiah and Sambai had hired him. Therefore was he hired that I should be afraid and do so and sin, that I, and that they might, might have matter for an evil report, and that they might reproach me. My God, think thou upon Tobiah and Sambai according to these their works, and on the prophetess Noadiah, and the rest of the prophets that would have put me in fear. Not only did they want to have this conference that would have pulled Nehemiah away from his work, they began using fear tactics and threatening. Go over and hide in the temple because they're going to come and kill you. 
All they're trying to do is get the work to see. Does that not have a familiar ring in it today? Are we not hearing some rumblings of threats of possible uh, the possibility of being arrested and things for standing for what God says is true? We must resolve to be like Nehemiah and stand for the Lord. And remember what the apostles said, Acts chapter 5, verse 29, we ought to obey God rather than men. Nehemiah would not be deterred from this good work. He would not give in to their threatenings and, and the fear tactics that they used, but rather he continued, he did not compromise in the, at the conference or in the confrontation. He did not, also did not antagonize. This takes us back to chapter 5, Nehemiah 5, and we're going to notice what he did when there were conflicts that came up. Beginning in, in verse 1, we're told that there was a great cry of the people and of the wives against their, their brethren, the Jews. And there were that said, we, are, we our sons and our daughters, are many. Therefore we, are, we take up corn for them that we may eat and live. Some also there were that said, we have mortgaged our lands, vineyards, and houses that we might buy corn because of the, of the dirt. There were also that said, we have borrowed money for our kings for the king's tribute, and that upon our lands and vineyards. Yet now our flesh is as the flesh of our brethren, our children as their children. And lo, we bring into bondage our sons and our daughters to be servants, and some of our daughters are brought into bondage already, neither is it in our power to redeem them. For other men have our lands and vineyards. And I was very angry when I heard their cry and these words. Then I consulted with myself, and I rebuked the nobles and the rulers, and said unto them, Ye exact usury, every one of his brothers. And I set a great assembly against them. And I said unto them, After our ability, we have we redeemed our brethren, the Jews, which were sold unto the heathen. And will ye even sell your brethren? Or shall they be sold unto us? Then held they their peace and found nothing to answer. Also I said, it is not good that ye do. Ought ye not to walk in the fear of our God because of the reproach of the heathen, our enemies? I likewise and my brethren and my servants might exact of them money and corn. I pray you, let us leave off this usury. Restore, I pray you, to them, even this day, their lands, their vineyards, their olive yards, and their houses also the hundredth part of the money and of the corn and the wine and the oil that ye exacted them. Then said they, We will restore them and will require nothing of them. So will we do as thou sayest. Then I called the priests and took an oath of them that they should do according to this promise. Also I shook my lap and said, So God shake out every man from his house, from his labor that performeth not this promise, even thus be he shaken out and emptied. And all the congregation said amen and praised the Lord, and the people did according to this promise. Here we have these folks that were in a position of, of wealth. They were being sought after because the, there were people who didn't have. And as they were involved in this great work, they were working together. They were the Lord's people. And if I'm not mistaken, they weren't supposed to be doing these kinds of things to their brethren. But instead of taking care of them, instead of having compassion, they were basically treating them like loan sharks would treat people today. And they said, we're, we're having to sell our children into, into slavery. They're being turned into servants because we don't have what we need to continue. Nehemiah said it's not. He addressed the problem. He, he went to them and showed them 
that the way they were behaving was not in accordance with God's will, and it was such that it would be reproachable among uh, the people around them. That's not the way God's people behave. He dealt with the problem and helped them to see that it didn't need to be that way, and they followed the they followed what was said, and, and in doing so, he, he alleviated the problem. And as we involve ourselves in the Lord's work, sometimes inner conflict comes up. Because while we love each other, we want each other to go to heaven, we don't always agree with each other. We may think one way is the right way, and someone else thinks the other way is the right way, and it's not something that's doctrinal, but it's something that, that, that conflict arises, and leaders have to handle this. And Nehemiah went, he dealt with it, and he got things taken care of so that the work could continue. Not only did he deal with this in the conflict resolution, but also he did not antagonize in his care of the resources. He continued there in verse 14. He says, Moreover, from the time that I was appointed to be their governor in the land of Judah, from the 20th year even unto the 2 and 30th year of Artaxerxes the king, that is 12 years, I and my brethren have not eaten the bread of the governor, but the former governors had been a, before, that had been before me were chargeable unto the people and had taken of them bread and wine besides 40 shekels of silver. Yea, even their servants bear rule over the people. But so did, not, so did not I because of the fear of God. Yea, also I continued in the work of this wall, neither bought we any land, and all my servants were gathered together or gathered thither into the work. Moreover, there were at my table 150 Jews and rulers besides those that came unto us from among the heathen that are about us. Now that which was prepared for me daily was one ox, six choice sheep, also fowls were prepared for me. Once in ten days store, uh, excuse me, once in ten days store of all sorts of wine. Yet for all this required not I the bread of the governor because the bondage was heavy upon this people. Think upon me, my God, for good, according to all that I have done for this people. Nehemiah, he was working among, among these people. Remember, he was sent by the king. He had the letters, he had the credentials, and, and he said, I could have exacted these things from them. I could have taken these things from them. But instead of taking things and accumulating wealth for himself and being a burden to the people, he only took what was needed for the work to continue. He sacrificed so that the work would prosper. And he was concerned about the people. And the Lord blessed them in this, and the work was able to continue and be completed. And so Nehemiah did not compromise. He did not antagonize, and he did not apostatize. He did not turn away from this work. He was committed to it. And so when we come to chapters, uh, come to the end of this, we find that the work was completed in 52 days. They had a great success because he was committed to the work. And as we think about the Lord's work and our efforts in his kingdom, in strengthening the church as a local congregation, but the church in general, we've got to be committed to this work, which means we first got to be committed to the Lord and serving him. We understand that in order to be a servant of the Lord and in order to be involved in this building project, and we're involved in the building project, First Peter chapter 2 tells us, we're built up as lively stones. And so we're trying to strengthen the, the walls of the kingdom, if you will. In order for us to do that, we've got to first be determined to follow the Lord. 
if you've not obeyed the gospel, before you can begin work and before you can be committed to the to the, the work, you've got to be committed to the Lord. Nehemiah was, and he was his devotion is seen throughout the chapters of, of the book. As we read how he prayed and he stayed focused on that work, he was committed to the Lord. In order to commit ourselves to the Lord, it's not like some would say that we simply believe and we're saved. It's not that we believe and say some prayer, but Jesus tells us that if we're going to be saved, first of all, we've got to believe that he is who he said he was. And then we've got to confess his name before men, Matthew 10, 32 and 33. We've got to repent of our sins, Luke 13, 3 and 5. Turn away from the things of this life and determine to follow him. And then be baptized so that we can have our sins washed away. In giving the great commission, sending the apostles into all the world to preach the gospel, Jesus said, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. If you've not obeyed the gospel, then you've not committed yourself to the Lord, and you're not involved in this building project. But the Lord calls for you to come to involve yourself in this good work if you're willing to submit to his will in gospel obedience. As a child of God, have you been faithful in this work? Have you been working to strengthen yourself, to strengthen the congregation, and to reach out to those who are around you to help them to see what they need to do so that they can become members of the Lord's church and be, be involved in this building project. You've not been faithful. There are things in your life that are keeping you from reaching out, from being who you know the Lord needs you, wants you to be and who you can be. We plead with you and the Lord pleads with you to repent. Make whatever thing is, is not right what it needs to be. Ask for the Lord's forgiveness. If it's a matter of public nature that has brought shame and reproach upon the body of Christ, we pray with you and for you. We'll encourage you. We'll do all we can to help you if you'll come and let your needs be known as we stand in faith. When Jesus comes to reward his service,
thank you, Andrew, for that sermon this morning, finishing up on Nehemiah. And we want to remember those who are not who are traveling or away from us, and we want to remember the students' families for trying to do all the past away yesterday. Any other announcements? Okay. There. There's nothing else than that's the little day of this and a close prayer.
Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.